You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie? Not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R dot If you spend more time defending yourself instead of having productive, loving, and kind communication with someone in your life, maybe it's time to visit loveandabuse.com and download the Mean Workbook on Manipulation and Emotional Abuse today. Find out exactly where the disharmony is coming from. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani, and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. And I kind of snickered when I said, you make decisions that are right for you because I feel so strongly about it. It's like something I shouldn't even have to say. It's like something that you should be able to go out there and make decisions that are right for you, regardless of what anyone says. You know, we spend so much time thinking about what someone else is going to think if I make this decision. And of course, yes, our decisions do affect other people. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Some of them uh, affect those people even though they shouldn't. Like when I was married, a lot of the decisions that my wife made affected me even though they really didn't affect me. They really didn't affect my life. If she chose to eat a whole bag of chips back then, I had a problem with it. I don't think she ever did that. I'm just using this as an example. But, you know, I had an issue with her emotional eating and I made it my issue, not hers. If she chose to eat something that I disagreed with, I made it my issue. I'm not proud of this. I've admitted it on the air before. It's part of the emotional abuse cycle that uh, her and I were in. And I certainly caused her a lot of misery because of it. But, you know, this is where I was at that time before I healed, before I uh, stopped being judgmental and started focusing on myself and healing myself instead of pointing my finger to the outside world and trying to control the outside world and the people in it and trying to make everyone conform to what I wanted. 
I wanted to control people around me. I wanted to control my environment so that they showed up in my life the way I wanted them to, instead of me coming to a place of no judgment and full acceptance. And I think about how my wife treated me, and it felt it felt like unconditional love in a way that I've never experienced before, where it didn't matter how I showed up because she accepted me. It didn't matter the decisions that I made because she accepted them. She chose to accept me for who I was and the decisions that I made. And I didn't get that. I didn't get it until the marriage was over. I didn't understand it. It didn't register with me at all. I had no idea what it was until it was gone. And during that time, I was highly judgmental. I was highly emotionally abusive. I became silent when I was angry. I withdrew my love. I made her feel unworthy unlovable, and basically inferior and guilty. I I made her feel a lot of things. And I know people are out there right now saying, you can't make anyone feel anything. Yes, I can. (laughs) I did. And it is possible. Yes, you have control over your own emotions. I, I don't even want to say it that way. You have a choice in how to respond. You have a choice in who you want to be with. You have a choice in what you say to people and how you react. And sometimes, not even, I shouldn't even say react because reaction could be an emotional trigger brought in through subconscious uh, conditioning, uh, old stimulus response. You get upset every time somebody looks at you funny because your dad looked at you funny when you were three, whatever. There's I know that exists. We all pretty much know that we bring in these old emotional triggers from the past and uh, we respond today through those filters. But what I'm saying when it comes to you can make someone feel a certain way is because how you show up in their life, they will end up trusting you more because you show up in a certain way or at least you did in the beginning. They love you. They keep that love for you. They have hope for you. They have faith in you. They feel trusting toward you. And all of these things can be used against them. And that's what I did. My wife loved me. She was in love with me. She trusted me. And everything that she felt good with me, I used against her. I don't know about everything, but most things. Because I knew if she loved me, she would conform. That's a terrible, terrible attitude to have, especially in a marriage where you're supposed to be supporting each other and supporting each other's path to happiness and supporting each other in a way that makes them feel loved and trusted and safe. And when you take away the safety by setting conditions, by taking control, by telling them they need to show up in a certain way, they need to do certain things, they need to say certain things, By doing that, what you're really saying is, I don't want you to be who you are. I want you to be who I want you to be. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't share something with our partner or with someone we love. This doesn't mean we can't say, hey, when you say that, it feels disrespectful. Hey, when you say, no, I'm not going to take out the garbage, Uh, you take it out, it's your job, it feels like you don't value me as a partner. And you don't see it as 
something that I continuously do out of love and respect for you. So I feel there's an inequality here. There's no reason you can't say, hey, when you do that, it makes me feel this way. Absolutely. Share those things. Make it known to the people that you love. Hey, when you show up that way, it hurts my feelings. Hey, when you say those words, it it really makes me feel like you don't care about me. You don't love me. That is healthy communication. It could lead to an argument, but what better way to get it out on the table instead of letting it linger in the background for months, years. When we do that, our relationship erodes. Whatever relationship that is, with family, friends, romantic, business, whatever it is, whenever we hold something in, there is an erosion. Plus, there is a little wall of protection, a barrier that we put up, because now we hold some sort of resentment or some sort of that person has to pay or that person is being evil or that person, we have these thoughts that go through our head that that person has done something wrong to me and I don't want that to happen again so I'll protect myself. So as we put on these layers of protection, each layer we add is a layer of erosion. So it's kind of something that happens with a one-to-one ratio. Every time I add a layer of protection, I disintegrate a layer of love and connection. And when we do this over and over again, guess what you have left after how many years? How many years can you go continuing to put the layers of protection on you until you pretty much don't even want to see the person at all? How many years can you do that? Pretty soon you become detached. Pretty soon you don't want anything to do with the person and you wish they would just leave. Which brings me back to where I started, where I believe you should be able to show up in the world and make decisions that are right for you. And that includes saying things to people that are right for you. And like I was starting to say, yes, people will be affected when you have family, when you have friends, when you're around people that you're always around and you make a decision It will affect others because A, you're going to do something for you, hopefully, that other people are going to witness and hopefully either accept or reject or question or have a concern or have a comment about it. Hopefully, you have people around you that support you, even those that might say, hey, look, I think you're making a mistake, but you know what? Go for it. If you think that's what you want to do, go for it because you'll find out if you're making a mistake. But who am I to tell you what to do? Who am I to hold you back? Who am I to say what's right for you? Only you know what's right for you because you're going to feel it. You're going to, you're going to have your history from which to draw. You're going to be able to look back and know that there are certain decisions that you made in life that didn't work out. And there are certain, certain ones that did. And so how can you continue your path to a stress-free life, if that's even possible? Less stress, less angst, less tension. Every time you take a step toward less of something negative, you automatically invite something positive. I know I'm, I'm reaching there. I know that I'm putting that out there. And could that possibly be true? It's always true in my life. Every time I take a step into something that is less of something that I don't want, something better comes along. And that could just be a day of peace and quiet. 
you know what, today I'm not going to deal with my alcoholic stepfather. Today I'm not going to talk to my narcissistic mom. Today I'm not going to do that and I gain some peace. That doesn't mean you continue to deny what you need to do to heal inside you so that these people aren't such a burden in your life if you have people like that in your life. It just means that you take time for you, you make decisions for you, and you might have to add the word regardless. Regardless of how this person feels, I'm going to do this. I need to do this for me. I have to do this. And then, yes, there might be repercussions. There might be somebody who's upset. And then you have to ask yourself the question, does this person support me or not? Does this person want me to be happy making decisions that make me happy? Does this person support my happiness, which is my definition for love, when you can support someone else's happiness? When you support someone else's happiness, you could be in the middle of an argument, and then you stop yourself and you think, is what I'm doing supporting her happiness, or am I just trying to be right? Am I just trying to make him feel bad? Am I just trying to make sure she knows what she did wrong? She knows how awful she's being. Am I just trying to make him feel guilty so that he'll stop that behavior? You know, we come up with all these thoughts, these thought bubbles that enter our head that we think that we need to latch onto in order to feel better in ourselves. Because if we are superior in an argument and we are the winner, then they'll go off and they'll cry or they'll come back and they'll apologize or they'll say, you're right, I'm wrong. And then we'll feel better about ourselves. But really, we don't feel so good when they apologize because then we think about how bad we were to them. (laughs) And then we think maybe I was a little too harsh and then we might kiss and make up and everything will be great. That can happen. Uh, It doesn't often, but it does happen. Uh, But sometimes what happens is, no, that person stays right. That person stays right. And then you might feel dejected. You might feel like, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do. You might be in a situation where that person always wants to be right, knows that they're right, and wants to make sure that you know that you're wrong. This is why you have to practice making decisions that are right for you. You have to practice it because eventually you may not know what's right for you. If you're around people that don't support you, if you're around people that mistreat you, that make you feel bad about yourself, which is my definition for emotional abuse, when someone makes you feel bad about yourself, then what you need to do is start practicing making decisions regardless, there's that word, regardless of whether you think you'll fail or succeed, just to start practicing making decisions. I've talked about this on other episodes where decision-making is a function of your brain that when you don't use it often enough, you start losing it. You start procrastinating. You start overanalyzing. You start getting into a rut because every decision then becomes a slow, treacherous, psychologically painful, trudging through the mud journey of analyzing, overanalyzing, contemplating, wondering, Asking yourself, what if, in 28,000 different scenarios, then pretty soon, you finally maybe make a decision, and by then, all the steam behind it is gone, 
all the reasons that you may have wanted to make that decision in the first place may not be there anymore, may not have the fuel that they need to continue so that you progress into the next decision and the next decision. It just, you can't plod along life stuck in trying to decide. You have to get through life just deciding whether you win or lose, just deciding whether you fail or succeed, just deciding regardless of what happens. And that's scary because that's a consequence. You know, accountability is something I emphasize a lot in this show because accountability means that something that I do will have consequences and I will be accountable. And I've talked to a lot of people that don't like accountability, don't like taking responsibility, and therefore don't make decisions. And when you get into that rut, it's very hard to get out because you feel like you can't make decisions. You feel like you're a bad decision maker. The reason you do is because you don't make decisions. So making decisions is something you practice. It is something simple like, which movie do I want to see? This one or that one? I don't know. What can I do? What should I go see? What do they want to see? How about I want to see this? That's it. And then before the self-talk, before the inner dialogue kicks in, well, if I go see that, well, what a waste of money. Maybe I should go see that because I've been wanting to see that. I can watch this at home when it comes on Netflix. I can just wait for it some other time. How about just making the decision and not caring if you're wrong? That's going to be hard to do for some people. But if I'm wrong, then all these consequences. You know, I'm going to tell you this. When you spend your life trying to avoid the consequences, trying to avoid maybe accountability, trying to avoid what might happen if you decide wrong, you A, never learn what the right decision is because you never took the chance, and B, you keep yourself in that rut, and the rut is never ending. It's that endless groove of a record that keeps going around and around and around. Record at least ends, but the rut of overanalyzing and not deciding is an endless cycle that reinforces itself. It continues throughout your life because you haven't made decisions before to know what's right, what's wrong, what fails, what succeeds. And without that knowledge, of course, you're going to have a hard time making decisions. And the last one, C, when you spend your life avoiding the consequences, not making decisions because you fear what might happen, you develop learned helplessness. You develop a strategy that you rely on that turns out to be completely, almost utterly useless. (laughs) And it's also an excuse. You create a useless strategy, which is just a behavior. You modify your behavior so that you don't have to do things. You aren't responsible for things. And you have an excuse to avoid doing things that might cause you pain or harm or some sort of responsibility or accountability, which you don't want because that equals pain or harm, um, emotional wounding, something like that. And of course, D, let's just add one more. Avoiding pain, avoiding consequence keeps you from improving yourself. I know I'm, I'm again, I'm putting that out there. I, I could be way off here, but let me say this. Without the hardship, what is the incentive to improve yourself? If you go through life with everything taken care of for you, there's not as much incentive. If I gave you $1 billion, what would be your incentive to make more money, for example? You might have it, I don't know, but what would be the incentive? 
so that I can reach 2 billion. I mean, maybe that's your goal. But I'm just using this as an example because when we have what we need in life, there's not much incentive to do the thing that gives us what we need because we already have it. This doesn't work for everyone. I, I know that there are inner drives in us. And even you can look at the wealthiest people on earth. And even some of them are still working. Some of them work 15 hours a day. And, and, and they don't do it because it's money. They do it for an, an inner drive that's even deeper. When you have a hardship, when you have the pain, then you learn resilience. You learn how to get through the hard times so that next time you make a decision that fails, you can get through the hard times. And if you don't have the knowledge of how you did it before, it's hard to make a decision because it could happen. And we try to avoid the first time or the second time because we made that decision before. It was too painful. So I'm going to avoid the second time. But if we decide to say, hey, you know what? Bring it on. Let's do this and see what happens. And if I fail, I'll get up. I always have. I've always found a way through it. I'm still here. I'm still alive. I found a way through it. And some people might say, yeah, but it was the biggest mistake in my life. And now look at me. I'm in the worst situation possible. I'm sure there are worse situations. And I'm sure that you're right. This feels like the worst thing for you. But are you a good decision maker? No, this is why I got here. This is why I'm here. This is what happened because I'm a bad decision maker. Are you the type of person that will make decisions no matter what? Are you the type of person that will make decisions regardless because they are right for you? Or are you relying on other people's reactions to your decisions? Because I can probably guess that the majority of the people listening now that made decisions based on someone else's desire for them to do so, someone else's control, the majority of people that did that, that made decisions based on that, probably ended up more unhappy than they are happy. Because I know, at least with my life, that when I made decisions based on what other people wanted, I ended up failing. I ended up going through some hardships. I ended up in situations that benefited them and made me unhappy. And this is some major stuff. This is some major stuff that has appeared in my life that because I grew up as a people pleaser, because I wanted to say yes to everyone else, because I wanted to be liked, because I wanted to be accepted, because I wanted to be loved, that I said yes to people when I really meant no. And I realized, you know, when I made this show several years ago, I realized I just want to make decisions that are right for me. Not for anyone else. I want to make decisions that are right for me. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I came up with the question, what would I do if there were no consequences? And boy, that question has helped me over and over again. Okay, I'm in this situation. What would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? I think that's how I worded it. What would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? Because that is when the true decision comes out. That is when you know the right decision for you. All right, when we come back, there's some stuff I touched on that I'm going to touch on in the next segment. It's in relation to an email that I received, and it has to do with obsession. might be the last time I ever talk about obsession, but obsessions are those thought viruses or brain viruses that never seem to go away. I think that's a good subject to talk about, just in case you're obsessed about anything. And even if you're not, 
I think you'll get something from it. We'll be right back. podcast. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> it's coming. Loveandabuse.com. Just head over there and find out when the podcast will uh, air. I'm hoping that I'll have the first episode up by the time this airs. So these may come out on the same day. I don't know. I'm just going to uh, record it. And, you know, usually when someone records a podcast, they record a few episodes at once and then they they do what's called a launch. And they launch the podcast. And sometimes they'll have three episodes available. And sometimes they'll have more. Or sometimes they'll just disperse them. Like I have 17 recorded already. And now I'm going to disperse them once a week. And I won't have to do anything for 17 weeks. (laughs) Or something like that. Um, I don't plan on doing that. I actually plan on just recording the first episode. Putting it out there. And these episodes are going to be short. They're going to be digestible. They're not going to be such a long production like the overwhelmed brain is which could be good or could be bad i mean some people like to listen to longer things but uh, i really want to make this this uh, new show digestible so if you are in an emotionally abusive relationship if you don't know what emotional abuse is if you want to know more about verbal abuse emotional abuse manipulation volatile communication unhealthy toxic relationships and how emotional abuse plays into that what the definition of emotional abuse, what all the terms are. I'm going to cover all of that on a separate show called Love and Abuse. And I think it's going to be an important part of probably millions of people's personal growth and development, especially in any type of relationship. It's not just romantic. It's There's so many people that do emotionally abusive behavior and um, some don't know they're doing it. Some do know they're doing it. A lot of people don't know it's called emotional abuse. A lot of people don't understand what it is. I want you to understand fully what it is. I want you to know what you're dealing with when someone starts playing that game. And the abuser doesn't always know they're abusing. I did that for many years. I didn't know I was emotionally abusing anyone or anything. I just wanted to get my needs met. And I thought that's how you did it. So there are people out there that as long as they have some sort of empathy and compassion, that there's a chance that if they're emotionally abusive, that they can get out of it too. So this is going to be a show for both the perpetrator of the emotional abuse and the victim. And I hate to use those terms, but for lack of a better term for now, the people on both sides of the emotional abuse umbrella that um, can really learn a lot about yourself, a lot about the people in your life, and a lot about communication. It's all about communication. It's all about how I express to you, how you express to me, how you express to others, how they express to you, and communicating their needs, especially because that's usually what drives emotional abuse is I have a need and I need to get that need met. How am I going to do it? Am I going to coerce and control and lie and deceive? Then I might be being emotionally abusive. Or am I going to share with you my needs and see if they can be met by you. They may not be able to, but at least that's a healthy conversation to have. So I want you to keep an eye out. Go to loveandabuse.com and click on the uh, little link at the top that says Love and Abuse Podcast. 
And of course, you hear me talk about the Mean Workbook all the time on this show. And the Love and Abuse podcast will be the official podcast for that workbook. If you want to assess your relationship, any relationship, whether it's your mom or dad or sister or brother or friend or coworker, this can be helpful. It's it's geared toward romantic relationships because it says, you know, my partner does this, my partner does that. But the assessment can work with any relationship. So see it as a tool for you to really pinpoint the behaviors that might be happening in your life if you're experiencing this or if you have a friend that might be going through an emotionally abusive relationship and you just you know you see all the signs but they don't this can be a huge step toward understanding exactly what they're going through so that they don't think they're responsible for it so that they don't have to feel like they are causing it so that they understand that they're not the ones going crazy but they may be being made to feel crazy Keep an eye out for the podcast. And if you want the mean workbook, go to loveandabuse.com. Welcome back. I'm going to talk about obsession for a little bit. Obsession in the sense of I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop wanting to check social media. I can't get it out of my head. And I spend all my time obsessed about it. That person, that thing. Typically a person. We're usually obsessed about someone else. Usually an ex. At least that's in, in my realm. I hear from a lot of people that are obsessed about their ex. And they want to get them back. They want their ex to love them again. They want their ex to return to their life. And um, I've talked about it a couple times before, and it is one of the hardest behaviors to stop. At least, again, in my realm, it, it has been one of the, the hardest behaviors to stop, to help clients, to help listeners, to help them get past it. And speaking from my own uh, place of obsession, when I was obsessed, I went through a long period, uh, sometimes, what was it, weeks or months, where I wanted my ex back. In fact, um, my first long-term relationship, the obsession I had of wanting her back led to a depression. Obsession can lead to depression because you probably are forgetting everything else in life. You're probably putting everything else on the back burner and you want to continue waiting for someone to change, to come back to you, to make you happy again. That's where all my focus was. I was waiting for her to make me happy again because she was my only source. She was my source of happiness. Without her, I couldn't be happy. This is why I you hear me repeat on this show over and over again. It's vital that you practice self-love, self-compassion, self-care in any way, shape, or form, and that you become a source for yourself so that you don't rely on someone else to do it for you. And I know, I mean, a lot of this comes from childhood when we don't feel worthy enough. We feel like we're going to be abandoned. We feel we're being neglected by our parents, by our caretakers. All of this exposure to the type of caretaking that doesn't benefit us when we're children that we grow up with and turn into obsessions and emotional triggers and worries and jealousy and possessiveness. I've done it all. <laughs> I've been there. I've been on... Uh, have I been on the other side of jealousy? I don't remember. Uh, but I've definitely been jealous and possessive and fear of abandonment, um, 
putting all of my time and energy into one person and not really focusing on myself. And uh, that's one of the things that I hope everyone listening, I hope you listening right now can understand that when you get into a relationship, that you invest in yourself in that relationship. So if it fails, if you break up, then you have a solid foundation on which to land. You have a solid foundation for both of your feet to be planted so that you don't get stuck in obsession mode. So you don't get stuck thinking that you will never be happy again. Because that is that thought virus stuff that I was talking about in the last segment. Is that we have this awful, dreadful thought that we'll never be happy again. And it's because we put all of our eggs in one basket. We saw that person as our source. When that person's not in our life, we unplug. And who are we without them? It's like that song, You are the wind beneath my wings. Let's not go by what that says. <laughs> I get it, and there's a sentiment behind it, and I'm not making fun of it. But we don't want to take it so literally that that person is our only energy source. We don't want to take it that literally. We want to love the people that come into our life, yes. And we want to enjoy the time that we have with them when they come into our life. And we want to share experiences and share our histories and share our hopes and dreams of the future. But we don't want to make them the number one 100% source of our fulfillment because if they leave, if they die, if they go away in some other way, shape, or form, then what are we left with? And it is going to hurt. I'm not saying that the pain doesn't go away or the grieving of losing someone doesn't go away. It absolutely has to happen. There's a process when we become attached to someone and when we share ourselves with someone else, we create a what I like to look at, it's kind of a metaphor, a third person in the relationship. There is me, there is you, and then there is us. And that third person has its own way of being. It's its own way of showing up in the world. And that third person needs maintenance and needs work. And we need to continue, you and I, working on that and making sure that third probably a bad example, person, that third person in our life, us, has everything he or she needs to live the happiest life possible. So we go through life investing in us, me investing in me, you investing in you, and we investing in us. If you don't like the term third person, that's fine, whatever you want to think about it as, but it does take on a life of its own. And I actually like that because that means that I can still go play my guitar. I can still go read. I can still go enjoy myself outside without being attached at the hip, but still enjoy when she comes with me. In fact, want her to come with me. You can still have these feelings for someone else and wantings and desires and needs that you want to fulfill from someone else. You just have to watch the percentage. <laughs> it sounds analytical, but let's look at it that way. If I thought that I couldn't be happy without my girlfriend, then I am setting myself up for huge failure. I'm setting myself up to be very disappointed. Now, I speak from a little bit of wisdom and experience because everyone that I've ever been with has left me, which has given me a little bit more resilience, a little bit more understanding of what the process is, and a lot of insight to how I invested in relationships because I used to be all about them. 
When you make yourself all about the other person, your obsession begins before the breakup, before you even know you're going to break up, before anything happens, before the person ever leaves. If you are invested 100% into them and you are not invested in yourself, you don't have friends outside of them, you don't have your own hobbies, you don't have your own activities, then you just have to be careful because, again, if they are not there anymore, what do you have? What is your foundation? I want you to think about that. What is my foundation? If anything were to happen, what is my foundation? And if you can't get your mind off, well, I I just can't picture my life without them. What would happen? What would I do? I, I can't go there. Then you've already started the obsession process, I hate to say. And hopefully the person you get with or you are with never leaves, always loves you, always supports you. Hopefully you never have to deal with this. But in my lifetime, I've dealt with a lot of heartache and I hear from people that go through it and you never know what's going to happen. So it's it's not like you live paranoid thinking someone's going to leave you. It's just that you need to be aware, self-aware of what seeds you're planting so that when the storm comes, you know what's going to grow and what's going to die. Probably not the happiest way to put it, but you get my point. So let me read you an email. I'm, this is, like I said, I want to talk about obsession in this segment. This email, I'm just going to read you a little segment of it. Um, I got it many months ago, so I have a feeling the situation has changed, but I'll call this person Joe. Joe says, recently a woman started working in my office. She seems like an amazing woman, and my heart went wild almost immediately. I'm very interested in her, and I have made some subtle moves so that I can get to know her better. I want to know more about her before I push for something more. I think inter-office relationships are a bad idea, but I'm still interested in her. Then he put a little frowny face. (laughs) I have a difficult time reading her, and I feel like I'm getting mixed messages. It may be just my imagination telling me what, what I want to hear. I'm torn as to how to proceed and have begun obsessing, which will likely drive her away. Here lies the issue. A deep rooted dysfunction of obsessing and analyzing. I don't know where it comes from, and I know it has had a negative impact on several of my previous relationships. I've listened to a number of podcasts, read books, and websites dealing with letting go, and tried many strategies, all unsuccessful. I am baffled as to how to stop this behavior so that I don't torture myself or hurt others in the future. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. I hope your backlog of questions is not too long. Ha ha. <laughs> It is. It's a very long backlog. And uh, thank you in advance and have an awesome day. You are amazing. You are amazing. Thank you too, Joe. I appreciate you reaching out and sharing this with me. And now you know why I brought up Obsession today because of Joe's question and because I see this on the um, the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group and Facebook. If you're not a, a part of that, feel free to join on Facebook. You can check that out. I see questions like this. I get them in email. I hear them from clients. And personally, obsession, like I said, is one of the most difficult behaviors to deal with because it's so deeply rooted into many factors in yourself. It's so deeply rooted to self-love and self-compassion and self-worth and self-esteem. All of these things that we need to practice all the time. I need you to practice this stuff. I need you to treat yourself as your best friend, as the person that you want to be treated as. I need you to make sure that you keep fulfilling yourself, even if you're with someone else. Because when we put our all into someone else, we start to lose ourselves. And then when they're gone, who are we? Where do we land? What's our foundation? Keep this in mind as you go forward in life. It's 
so that you're not setting yourself up to fail. We don't want to do that. And I know it's hard. I know a lot of people have a challenge doing this, but this is what this show's about. And this is what other shows and people and coaches and therapy, uh, they all are touting that it's important to love yourself. I don't like to use the words, just love yourself. I just like to say, practice self-love, practice self-compassion, practice self-respect, practice self-fulfillment. Anyway, so Joe, I'm going to get to you right now. Where you are, at least many months ago when you wrote this, you were probably in that in-between mode of, should I do this? Should I not? Should I ask her? Should I not? I'm getting mixed messages. I don't know what to do. Uh, That overanalyzing place that you're in. This is where you make the decision and fail or not. I hate to put it that way because this may change your relationship with her. Maybe you like the subtle flirting if that's going on. Maybe there is a chance that she wants to be with you. But um, I'll tell you what my girlfriend said. (laughs) I mean, this isn't about your letter. She told me this after we first met. She said, you know, I get sick of guys who don't just come out and ask. (laughs) I'm not saying all women want this. I'm not saying that this is a good way or a bad way. I'm just saying that she said, you know, some guys, they show interest, but they never come out and ask. And then many months later, they'll finally gain the courage and ask. And my girlfriend says, you know, if you asked four months ago, I would have said yes, but now I'm seeing someone. So this is good to keep in mind if you're interested in someone and, you know, you get to know them and you think you have similar interests and maybe there's mixed messages, maybe there's not. I think you should look for definite signs of rejection (laughs) because if you see that, then eh, it's probably not going to go your way. But if there's mixed messages, maybe there's something there. Maybe there is. So what do you do? You get out of that stagnation of overanalyzing and just ask, knowing that you could fail, knowing that you could get rejected. Again, this is why self-care is so important, so that when rejection happens in your life, and it does, that you have a solid foundation to land. Because it's like getting pushed over. I just pushed you over. You're you're ugly, I don't like you, or I'm not interested in you, or even I'm already married, or I'm dating someone, so I'm going to say no to you. It just feels like you're being pushed over and like, oh, what do I do with that? What you do with it is you regain your composure, and hopefully you have composure through self-care, through self-love, compassion, respect, all that stuff. And when you get back up, you can say, okay, I'm back, great. Sorry, I didn't know that. Uh, I'll certainly leave you alone. And then she might go, that's okay. You know, thanks. I'm flattered. Or maybe not. Or if you're asking a guy, that's okay. I'm flattered, whatever. Or maybe not. And um, then you move on. Then you, then you might have some awkward days or not. But the best way to get out of overanalyzing and obsessing is just to take action right away. The, and I really love finding out as fast as possible. I never did this in the past. I'm not telling you that this comes from years and years of wisdom. This comes from years and years of failure. (laughs) This comes from years and years of not taking action. And I'm not just talking about asking someone out. I'm talking about anytime you're overanalyzing anything, stop in this moment and make the decision and do it. Let's just say that tomorrow doesn't come. You have to make the decision today. For Joe, it might have been, you know what? I just wanted to ask If you're not seeing anyone, would you like to go out to dinner with me some night? And if she says, oh, I don't know. I I don't know. I got to think about it. Then you step back and you go, hey, that's cool. I totally understand. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just wanted to ask just in case 
you were available and you had any interest. But if not, everything's cool. I don't, I don't want to make anything awkward. Just wanted to ask. And whatever that person says, great. You just go by it. But really, the overanalyzing is facing our own response to what happens. I don't want to face that rejection, so I'm going to analyze it more. Or I'm going to strategize in a way so that I don't get rejected. Maybe I can sneak her a note or maybe I can ask friends, is she available? I mean, some of that's okay, but the idea behind facing your own response and being afraid of how you're going to take it, that's typically where the overanalyzing, or a lot of the times, can come from. So what we need to do is not be afraid of our own response. Go through it in your mind. Play it out in your mind before you do anything that you're overanalyzing. Let's just say that I asked this question and this person rejected me. What would happen? Oh, geez, I would feel so bad. Yeah, but go through the motions. Actually imagine it happening and go through every single moment of that event. And then when you're done, you'll realize, okay, that that didn't feel very good and it might be awkward, but I'll make it through it. And if you can't feel that way, if you can't feel I'll make it through it, then find a way to ask where the response isn't something that you feel completely attached to. Like, I like the idea of asking questions that I'm not attached to the outcome with. A good example, and I'm just kind of veering into the dating scene for a second here. Let's just say that I was on the dating scene and I wanted to ask someone out. I might say, hey, I'm going to be at the bookstore tomorrow. You're welcome to join me. And then leave it alone. Because they're going to say, oh, thank you. It gives them a choice. And then I go on my merry way. And when I go to the bookstore tomorrow and they're not there, I leave it alone. (laughs) I don't go back the next day and say, I didn't see you at the bookstore. Because now you're backing them into a corner. I would rather just not talk about it. And if they mention it, hey, I was going to get to the bookstore. You just go, oh, no problem. You know, it's just an open invitation. I'm going to be there again tomorrow. It's totally up to you. You're not obligated to meet me there. I just thought you might want to join me. You always leave that open-ended feeling like they have options, like you're not sitting there waiting for a yes or a no. I mean, you don't always do this. <laughs> this is how I would do it if I was on the dating scene nowadays. And I knew the person, you know, somewhat. That way I avoid the weird rejection, you know, not that I couldn't handle it, but I would rather not feel that. So I'm just going to keep it open-ended. And if that person didn't show up to the bookstore, I might go, okay, you know, there's probably no interest there. But if the next day they say, you know what, I really want to get there. I really want to see you. I'm so sorry. When are you going again? I'd be like, wow, they are interested. Let's, let's do this. And I would set up another day to go. So anyway, let me come back to the obsessing part and overanalyzing part. If you're in that state of overanalyzing, um, there's a few things you can do. One of them is asking yourself, if I knew what to say, what would I say? That's a weird question because <laughs> you may not know but it's kind of a little brain trick. Another way to look at it is if I knew the future, what would I decide then? That could take you one way or another because you might say, well, I know she's going to reject me or I know he's going to say no. And then you might say, well, then I would decide not to ask at all. And if you go there, then don't go in that direction. Then you've made your choice, right? You've stopped analyzing. You've made the choice. Yeah, but I could ask. That's what's going to happen. I could ask and they could say yes, or I could go in that direction and that could work. Then make the decision. Maybe you do need to risk failure. Maybe you do need to make a decision that could lead to some sort of rejection or bad path or whatever. But that's all about getting better at making decisions. We talked about that earlier. 
Another thing of overanalyzing and obsessing is you don't know the answer. You're not sure, so you don't know what to do. You don't know what your next step is. So ask yourself, what has to happen in order for me to be 100% sure? What has to happen in order for me to be 100% sure? And in Joe's example, I might say, what has to happen for you to know 100% that she's interested in you? What has to happen? He might say, well, she has to come up to me and say, I really like you. And that might be his qualifier. And then I would say, do you think that'll ever happen? And he might say, well, probably not. (laughs) So what'll happen is that Joe will realize that he's analyzing until he waits for this qualifier to exist, to, to show up. And the qualifier never shows up because he has a belief that it'll never happen. So he puts himself in this self-perpetuating loop. So this is why it's a good example to ask yourself, what has to happen in order for me to be 100% sure? That way, whatever you're overanalyzing, whatever you're obsessing about, if you know what has to happen so that you're 100% sure about whatever it is before whatever decision you're going to make, then you can also ask yourself, will that ever happen? I'll know 100% sure that they still love me if they post a picture of us online And they have a big heart next to it. Well, do you believe that will really ever happen? No, I have no faith that will happen. All right, then. There's your qualifier. If you are using that as the fuel to analyze continually, then you may realize that that will never happen. And if that never happens, then you realize the the futility of your obsession. But I don't want to overanalyze that. So let's go into the next one, which is... um, Next question, which is, what is absolutely true today in this moment? You want to use that as your guide, not the past, not the future. When you're obsessing, when you're overanalyzing, you ask yourself, what is absolutely true right now in this moment? Because if you look at the situation or the person and you say, well, in this moment, that person hates me. That's what you have to go on right now. That's what you make the decision. Base it on today. And then our brain kicks in and says, yeah, but what if tomorrow they realize how much they love me? What if tomorrow? What if? What if? As soon as you jump into that what if mode, you restart the cycle of obsession. And that's why asking the question, what is absolutely true today in this moment? And then adding the statement, knowing it will never, ever change from this moment, what decision would I make then? That's a a great way to start understanding the futility of obsession and how to start little steps out of it. I'm not saying that this is going to be the escape route out of it and you're free. It could be, but a lot of people need very little steps. It's like um, getting out of the warm hot tub in the winter (laughs) where little steps to get cold and cold and colder until you get warm. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. I know that getting out of warm water in cold weather is not something I appreciate, but uh, it really feels good staying in there. So how do we get out of that? It sometimes takes either just jumping out, which is something like cold turkey. Hey, let's just do this cold turkey. Let's make this decision cold turkey or creeping out and getting that towel and getting warm and so on and so forth. Now, let's get to the next thing about obsessing and overanalyzing. Remember that stopping behavior requires stopping behavior, even when you're compelled to continue it. What this means is that the physical act, stopping, has to override your wants and needs. This is why so many people have trouble doing it. 
But the good news is becoming a better decision maker helps you stop things cold turkey. So let me just unwrap that a little bit. In order to stop something like obsession, you just have to stop it. But that's like, you know, maybe trying to tell an addict to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing drugs. It's not easy. So what we need to do is become better decision makers. This is why I had a segment on decision making. When you become a better decision maker, you can do things faster. You can do things with more efficiency. You can look at your life and say, no, damn it, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be in this rut. I don't want this continuous cycle of analyzation and wondering and hoping and waiting. I want to make a decision now regardless. And this is what I did after my marriage ended and I was upset and I really wanted to get back together. It came to the point where I finally decided that, damn it, I've got to move on. I've got to drop this idea that we're going to get back together. I have to make believe that she died. That's the visualization I used. I imagined she died. And there was no way that she was ever going to come back. That was hard to do. Because that meant I had to accept that there was no way that I'd be with her anymore. But doing that really started the healing process, really allowed me to move on so that when we communicated next, I could be in a healthier place. I wouldn't be so attached to an outcome that would never come. I had to decide that in this moment, I needed to make this outcome something that would never happen. The outcome that I wanted us back together, I had to make sure that I believed that it would never happen. So I just imagined that she died and that was it. There was nothing more I could do. I came to that level of acceptance. It's not easy, but you can do this. You can get to that place where in this moment, if I had to decide, what would I decide? And if I can't decide, then in this moment, I have to realize that I know it will never be the way I want it. Then what would I decide? That frees you up. It frees you and it also lets them go and they feel it. I don't know if they feel a thousand miles away, but in my life, it sure seems that way. I don't know how what's going on there, but as soon as I let someone go and heal and allows them to move on so I'm not continuously reaching out to them or thinking about them, it sure seems that they are free of me. Because when we communicate again, there's none of that lingering attachment. So there's some really strange stuff going on there, but when it happens, it's pretty wild and it, it allows both of you to move on and be free And it is possible when you're talking about relationships that you could get back together as new people or not. The freedom part of it is you're not attached to either outcome. You might like being together and that might be in the back of your mind, but letting go of that attachment to the outcome really helps free both of you. And that's a better feeling than obsession, obsession. There's a bunch more to talk about with obsession and I want to fit it all in here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back. I'm going to say my goodbye and some thank yous. Then I'm going to finish the show with everything else that um, I think will help you with obsessions and overanalyzing. So stick around. We'll be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to visit loveandabuse.com for the Love and Abuse podcast coming up on emotional abuse and 
manipulative language and communication, and also the mean workbook on emotional abuse and manipulation if you want to assess your relationship to find out where you stand and pinpoint the exact behaviors that are causing your relationship to be so complex and it shouldn't be, head over to loveandabuse.com. And I want to thank the patron members over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. That is where you can support this show financially. You can subscribe monthly or just give a one-time donation. This is exactly how the show continues. It is a way to say thank you for the content. If you enjoy the content, if you are experiencing any changes in your life and you have this show to thank for it and you want to show your support, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I want to thank members like Beth and Tammy and Angela and Shelly and Pilar and Christina and Lena and John and Elizabeth, all of you and everyone else that I haven't mentioned, I am thankful for you. And of course, the patron program allows you to listen to all the private episodes. I'm still releasing private episodes on a different subject matter. I just released one called A Unique Way to Work with Unwanted Emotions. I thought it was a really cool, unique method of working with emotions that are unresolved in you. And uh, you might get something from that. So if you're looking for a little bit more TOB, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And all of you patron members that are supporting the show, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And let me tell you about the safe empowerment system. I'm very happy with the way this is turning out uh, because there are some powerful techniques in there. There are some powerful walkthroughs. It's like I said on previous shows, it's made up of emergency pods and learning pods. The learning pods are where you do your homework and you learn about what's going on in your life and social anxiety in general. But uh, the emergency pods where you plug them in when you're having an anxiety moment, that's when your brain can really start to be retrained so you don't have those anxiety moments. So they dissolve, so they disintegrate over time every time you listen to them. So I want you to head over to quietbegins.com if you want to pre-purchase the safe empowerment system for social anxiety for I think it's 30% off right now before it gets launched. The launch date has moved up to February, but things are on track. And um, when you pre-purchase, nothing gets charged until it actually is delivered. So you're not going to be um, spending money for nothing yet. When it's delivered, that's when your card is charged. And of course, when it's released, I'll let you know about it. And that'll be something I don't have to continue mentioning that it's coming. (laughs) Just be out there and you can get it. That's quietbegins.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And boy, we have a lot to talk about with obsession, obsessive behavior, overanalyzing, which is kind of an obsessive thing. And I'm just going to go through these really quick. I have a bunch of bullet points that I want to hit. And um, some of them, if they're deeper, I might have to make a part two of this. I don't know, but we'll see where we go. I was talking about how to start realizing the futility is because once you get to that point where you understand obsession is futile, it is something that continues to recycle over and over again, but gets you nowhere. When the futility rises up and you finally realize it, that's when it can stop. That's when you finally break out of the cycle and say, I've had enough. And so uh, one of my bullet points is, You keep obsessing because there's not enough negative reinforcement to stop obsessing. So most people continue obsessing obsessing until they're exhausted and then they realize how futile it is. So you might have to get to that point of exhaustion. You might have to get there. And because you're not getting enough negative reinforcement, 
for example, you're obsessing about an ex and you look on their social media and they're with someone else and it feels so terrible, it feels so bad, but it's not bad enough to make you stop obsessing. When that happens, it's not a big enough negative reinforcement. But what if you saw that they were married and had three kids with this new person? Would that be enough? This is where uh, if it's enough, if there's enough negative reinforcement, it'll hopefully finally break the cycle of obsession. This is why sometimes I say overindulge and, you know, find out everything you can about something. This isn't my advice necessarily. This is just something I suggested a while back where sometimes when you overindulge in something and expose yourself to so much negativity, you are finally so negatively charged by it that you break out of the cycle. It's not exactly the best advice because it can be so powerful that it just destroys you inside. But for me, that's what I did. I had to do it. I had, when I was obsessive, I had to keep checking on the person. I had to keep looking them up. I followed them. I, I mean, this is when I was younger. I did so much to make sure that I saw all the negative stuff that was going on that I did not like that I, it finally broke me of it. Again, I don't suggest that. It takes a special type of person to be able to get through that. But that overexposure and constant negative reinforcement was helpful for me to realize the futility of my obsession. Let's see what else I have here. Obsession removes logic and replaces it with false hope. This is really important to know. This is like one of those one-liners. Like, I'm obsessed, so all my logic is removed and replaced with what? False hope. Yes, but it's real hope because I want it to be. No, it's false hope. You just have to accept that it's false hope. But Paul, what if you're wrong? I'm not. Just just accept it. It's false hope. And if I'm wrong, it'll be in your favor. <laughs> because the person that you're obsessed about will probably come out, yeah, but then I'll be in another relationship. Yeah, but you'll probably be happy. And if you're not, then you'll probably go back with that person. I mean, I could probably argue that six ways from Sunday, but just come to accept that your logic is removed and replaced with false hope. And when you think, oh, false hope, that means that it's never going to come true. Exactly. You get into that space of it's never going to come true. And this helps you make a decision. What if you're wrong? Then that what if keeps you obsessed. You can see where I'm going with this. Um, this is sort of a side note. Obsession is one of the most difficult behaviors to coach someone out of. This is from my perspective, because no matter how much work we do, there'll always be downtime where they obsess again. So keeping yourself busy, you know, that, that could work. But it's difficult. It's very difficult to keep yourself busy all the time. Plus, you need downtime. You need time to yourself. The problem with obsession is that you usually take all your free time and waste it in that false hope that someone or something will change. So again, I'm trying to help it add to the futility. If you're in an obsessed state, then you, I'm connecting with you right now. I know I am. <laughs> I just want to reinforce the false hope, the futility and the, the never-ending cycle that you put yourself in. All right, the next thing. I have a lot to go through. Obsession is refusing to let go of something that you can't have. It's more than that, but the type of obsession I'm talking about is just that. You can't have it, yet you want it, so you keep thinking about it and waiting and hoping you'll get it. That's just kind of something that I probably should have said at the beginning, the, that obsessing is refusing to let go of something that you can't have. And when you think that way, it, again, adds to the futility. 
Let's see, what else can we add to this futility? Obsession is a refusal to allow your desire for it to die. It's the path of keeping an unhealthy belief alive. It's like keeping someone on life support because you'll miss them if they leave, even though they have no quality of life left. And I know I'm on thin ice there. I don't want to get into that talk or debate. I'm just saying that when there's no brain activity or when there's no brain and you keep the body alive, that might be something that you can look at as your refusal to allow your desire for it to die. It's just a comment on futility. (laughs) I know this is a a sensitive area for some people and I don't want to linger on it too much. Next thing is uh, obsession is a complete focus on what you want and what will make you happy, but a lack of focus on the pain being inflicted, whether on yourself or others. I want you to really think about that. Obsession is complete focus on what you want and what will make you happy instead of focusing on the pain that's being inflicted on yourself and others. When you change your focus to the pain being inflicted, that can help you understand the path and how damaging it is. Obsession is an endless cycle of disappointment and going after your desire looping back into itself so that you get stuck in an endless feedback loop. Let me unpack that one. In other words, the mouth of desire eats its own tail of disappointment. And the visual of that is an endless looping of unmet needs, meeting disappointment, meeting unmet needs, meeting disappointment. You might have to listen to that again. You might have to write that down. The visual for me is that Ouroboros symbol or whatever it's called, where a snake is eating its own tail and it continues to loop. Or you can look at it as that figure eight infinity symbol. It is a cycle that repeats that you can't or you don't get out of as if the mouth of desire eats its own tail of disappointment. I'm going to leave that open to interpretation for you. It works for me. It may not work for you. But when you think about it in those terms as an endless cycle of disappointment and unmet needs and unmet desires and disappointment over and over and over again, you realize that you're inside a barrel rolling down an endless mountain. And unless you pop the top of the barrel and get out of it, you're going to continue rolling and banging and causing yourself so much pain and agony that you just need to take the chance and pop the top off and get out of it again these aren't all hey just think about this and you'll be free of obsession this is more like let's plant these seeds so that obsession doesn't have too much to hold on to so that obsession becomes something so futile in your mind that it's pointless to do it and that you are sick and tired of it so you stop it's really a mental mind trap And when that continuous cycle of disappointment and unmet needs and unmet desires keeps looping and feeding back into itself, it's a mental mind trap. you got to get out of that cycle. Obsession keeps you in that cycle. And you know, I have a whole page of notes here that I really want to get to. So what I'm going to do, I thought I wasn't going to have to do this, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to make a part two to this with another episode on Wednesday. It'll be a short episode to finish up the uh, part two on obsessiveness and overanalyzing so that um, I put all of this out there to give you something to work with so that you have something you can come back to again and again and again to get out of this cycle of obsessing. I know, I want you to obsess over this episode and the next one so that it continues to feed your mind with good stuff, positive reinforcing things that can help you get to a place where obsession becomes so tiring that you're sick of it that it disappears. 
So obsessing, overanalyzing, overthinking, decision-making, a lot of this has to do with each other. Uh, part two will be on Wednesday. It'll be a short episode, but I want to make sure I get all of this out there. I've got a lot of notes here that I, I just I don't want to just breeze past and um, hope you get something from it. I actually want to take some time on this, so hope you're okay with that. And if you're not, and if you're obsessed and you want this show to continue on and for me to keep talking about obsession, all I'm asking is that you take a step back, keep an open mind so that you can step into your power so that you can start making decisions that are right for you so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions, which will help you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go-to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie? Not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know-how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R dot com.